possible sign from above, lightning has struck the Vatican just hours after Pope Benedict XVI announced his surprising resignation. Footage shot shows the top of St. Peter's Basilica being struck by lightning during a thunderstorm over the Vatican. The resignation has caused a stir around the world and now it seems that nature itself has something to say about it. Pope Benedict XVI is the first Pope to resign in over 700 years. He said the reason for the resignation is that he no longer had the mental or physical strength to do the job. Now the world is left waiting and wondering who his successor will be. You're listening to Canary Cry Radio. Now here are your hosts, Basil and Gons. Hey everyone, welcome to Canary Cry Radio. Thanks for tuning in this week. My name is Basil. And I'm Gons, and we have an interview with Chris Putnam today. But before we get to that, we wanted to start off this episode by touching on a couple pieces of news that have been, a couple of them that have been nationwide or worldwide probably. Right. And the reason why we wanted to touch on it is because this is happening in our backyard. And if... uh, you don't know what we're talking about we're talking about a couple things one um obviously the what's the guy's name dorner crazy dorner yeah yeah revelations radio news uh tim and andrew over there just did an episode talking about this what i was just saying hi to oh tim and andrew okay uh what's up guys hey guys (laughs) but yeah but this is a this stuff is crazy and it's it's happening with more frequency obviously ever since uh newtown started but the most recent ones this dorner guy and then the saeed guy just yesterday right both happening just you know within a stone's throw of where me and guns are so we're just letting you guys know that we're okay but uh you know we just thought we should address that and give you our view from uh in the field here yeah and i'm sure you know again uh the guys over at revelation radio news address the dorner issue with the lapd and what went down and i mean it's a horrible situation there's you know lost lives there's a lot of speculation and some even some people supporting dorner's uh motive uh, they don't yeah. condone what he did but they're kind of supporting his his uh well, whistleblowing <laughs> Right. Well, there are some people calling Dorner an American hero. Yeah, I don't, which I, don't I know think about is that. a little bit much, even for you know somebody who's not very happy with corrupt cops in the first place. But yeah, it's a little bit intense. And I during the shootout, there was actually a fan page on Facebook that was just exploding and with some uh, some interesting people commenting on there, talking about how they're uh, praying for his safety and things like that. Some some real sick stuff. Yeah, it felt like OJ with right. some of the you know the car chasing and, and all that stuff. So anyway, that that went down, and you can listen to um, Tim and Andrew give their spin and and sort of give their opinions and thoughts on that. And but you know the thing that went down yesterday, and you know if you guys are listening outside of the U.S., especially you may not have heard about this, but uh, another guy, another gunman, uh, went on a rampage. And this guy, 20, 20 years old, he was identified as Ali Saeed. 
And um, basically, he started in uh, an area where I actually have family. So this is literally in our backyard. Yeah, and he he went to the school of which I have a lot of friends who go to that school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I live very close to the school. I mean, it's down the street. And anyway, if you hadn't heard the story, basically this 20-year-old kid uh, shot a, a woman in the house. It's, I think it is his parents' house. And then he uh, he kind of went on a Grand Theft Auto rampage. Which is carjacking rampage. Yeah. Just basically carjacking, you know, car to car just across the, the county. Right. El forgot to mention he was toting a shotgun so that that was his weapon of choice as he right. uh, went through and and it's very sad and at the end four people were killed he committed suicide when he was cornered by the cops and um i mean it's just right it, it just it's sick it's very very sad and and um especially when all this is happening just so close to gons and i it is uh, uh gives a whole new perspective to the thing because uh the new town shootings happen all the way across the country and you know it you just that's one thing just, but if it's when it's happening in your backyard it's like oh wow right exactly yeah so and um on that topic i mean there's a lot of conversations to have and places to go from there, um, all of which I think that we are going to avoid going, you know, when it comes to gun control and, and you know, the the plan for the lockdown and the, things like the that. The disarmament. And the everything, disarmament. Yeah. And those are all conversations that are happening on every street corner. Um, but, uh, you know, we're, we feel like we are just going to refrain from having that conversation at least in and this so, episode, we may address it some other time, but I think right, there's enough had people. Before. Yeah, and I think there's enough people talking about it at this point that, you know, right. we don't need to spend time on that because we got bigger fish to fry today. Right. Because a there big was. Big old fish in a big old white robe. It, oh, I, I thought you were going to say frying pan. <laughs> well, I guess there's. He's in a big frying pan, too. <laughs> but All now right. he might be getting out of the frying pan. And into the fire... No, not really. Anyways, we're talking about the Pope. The Pope, yeah. And obviously, uh, uh, you know, a lot of people... I mean, this is, this is worldwide. This is a huge event. 598 years since the last Pope stepped down. So, right. I mean, that's a long time. And, um, and it, for those of you who may remember, I know there are some of you who remember, who shall remain, remain nameless. But last year, we had Chris Putnam on the show talking about his book, Petrus Romanus, with right. Tom Horn, talking about the popes and the Malachi prophecies about the popes. Real quick, for those of you who don't know what those are, um, a Mr. Malachi, long, long time ago, had a prophecy uh, naming the next hundred and what twelve popes? Yes, I think it was hundred and twelve. Hundred and twelve, and he did it, and all the way up till now, for you know whatever reason, whether it's self-fulfilled prophecies or um, you know whatever it is, hundred and eleven popes have been correctly prophesied by this Malachi prophecy, and um, I will say that with our last show with Chris Putnam last year. Yeah, if I was the current Pope, Pope Benedict, I'd sort of be uh, sniffing my sandwiches a little bit more as the, <laughs> as the year continues here. 
Well, I mean, there has been a public threat on his life that the church responded to this year. Um, there was also a lot of rumors on the Internet that he was going to retire in April when he turned 85. In fact, he's written in, in one of his books that uh, he thought that it was perfectly acceptable for a pope to retire if he didn't feel like he could uh, hold his duties down anymore. I mean, usually these guys die in office, but he uh, he's actually on record as writing that he thought that it should be acceptable for a pope to retire. So it's really interesting. Yeah, you know, that's actually pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, don't, don't worry, guys. I'll just step down. <laughs> don't have to do anything. <laughs> we called it. Yes. Gone. I know. We should have put some money on it. I know. We called it. I even had to go back and listen to the episode because I was just so pumped about it. But yes, uh, you know, maybe we didn't, but with Chris Putnam's help, and I'm sure a lot of other people called it too, but we did call it on the show. So you can go back, listen to that. I think it's number 19. But lo and behold, here we are. The Pope has resigned the first time in 600 years. And I remember talking about on the show... That um, because of the timing of the prophecy, we deduced that this current pope or the former pope um, would have to either die or resign by, I think, 2013 or 2012. We might have we might have been on the 2012 timeline back then. Right. But, and, you know, we're close enough. Yeah. And in the interview that um, I was able to do. Basil. Right. <laughs> I, I was able to grab Chris Putnam just a couple days after the Pope stepped down and get his reaction. He was on a ton of shows. He was on PID radio. He was on coast to coast the night uh, the Pope stepped down. And I thought he did a great job. Always. Yeah. But, uh, you know, there's some strange things before we play the interview for you. Um, there's a few strange things that have happened since then as well. Like, did you hear about lightning striking the Vatican? <laughs> I did see that. I was wanting to do a little bit more research on that because um, I saw the picture and I heard about it. I thought it was suspicious somebody was able to take the picture at the millisecond a lightning strike hits. Yeah, um, that's true. But yes, I did hear about that. Well, I mean, assuming the Vatican is monitored heavily, I mean, yeah. I guess you can freeze frame and, and get that picture. But it's all sorts of possibilities. The other thing that I found interesting was. Uh, obviously the meteors that are hitting Russia right now, right? Now, I mean, this, what the heck was that about? Right. And, and it's, I, the only reason why I say it's interesting is because Chris Putnam pointed out in the past, and I think he might, he might bring it up in the uh, conversation I was able to have with him, but he brought up the, uh, you know, how the Malachi prophecies talks about the final Pope. Uh, once he's in power, you know, fire coming down from heaven and destroying the city with on seven hills, which is Rome. Right. And I just thought it was very strange that the week the Pope steps down, we got meteors coming down and like hitting Russia. Right. You know, I mean, I mean, could it be that there were quasi truths in some of these, you know, quote unquote prophecies where maybe, you know, something changed in the trajectory of time space and it happened to hit Russia and not well, maybe we should we should count how many hills are in that town in Russia. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. No, but but yeah, no. I, I mean, a meteor striking at any time in that capacity and uh, with that much of a, a brilliance in the sky is is definitely rare. I think I had seen somewhere that the last time one that big or that intense was, you know, uh, almost a century ago. You know, don't quote me on that. I thought I read that in an article somewhere. But also, 
um, it happening so close to all these other weird things. I mean, what is the world coming to right now when it comes to all the violence peaking at, 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 a, at a rate that, you know, I couldn't have predicted? Yeah. And the Pope stepping down, meteors, I mean, what, the blackout at the Super Bowl... A lot of strange things. Yeah, and, and I think uh, I believe it was Derek Gilbert that pointed out some of the uh, the times of how long uh, I can't remember exactly what it was, but something to do with the timing of the blackout at the Super Bowl that had some uh, occult numerical significance to it. So something about three twenty two. Oh, three two two. Was it Rob Skiba that told us that? Maybe it was Rob Skiba. Rob Skiba did that. Yeah, but. Anyhow. Anyway. So you had a conversation with Chris Putman. You brought him back. I what did. What did you guys talk about? Uh, we, well, we talked about a lot of stuff. We Actually, one thing that I wanted to do, and I think I, I, think I was successful in doing it. You guys can be the judge. But uh, I, I didn't want to get too much of the reaction of the Pope stepping down and kind of backtracking you know, from a year ago because we had him on you know, right. a few months ago. So instead of doing that, I wanted to really pick his brain about his next book with Tom Horn, the, the sequel, if you will, to Petros Romanus, which is Exo Vaticanus. And Chris Putnam and Tom Horn both um, visited the <laughs> Mount Graham out in Arizona where there's this giant telescope right. that uh, is conveniently... Yeah, it's the, Vatic the Vatican-owned observatory out there. Yeah, it's conveniently named uh, Lucifer, which, yeah. of course, I, I almost fell over when I found that out. Um, right. But just this whole idea that what's going on is, is, is the, because I'm thinking, and you know, if there is UFO or ET disclosure, right? Life on other planets or life in, in space or whatever, ancient aliens, whatever it is, the credibility level is massive. If the Pope, the religious leader of the world right. makes that announcement, I mean, it, it just has so much significance to it. So I wanted to pick his brain right. regarding that. Well, and it's almost like if they find it first, they're able to, you know, sort of address it, do their damage control. Yeah. Whereas if a, a secular observatory or some such finds it, then they're having to battle with it or, you know, right. Yeah. But they can give their own spin. Yeah. And I, but the interesting thing is that the, the Vatican and, you know, they've been, hinting at this for a while now you know it's been right. a few years where they've started talking about et life and things of that nature which is and baptizing baptizing aliens. aliens yeah yeah uh, so we talked about that and i tried to get as much as i can out of chris regarding exo vaticanus but um the conversation actually started with talking about this guy named freiberg am i saying that right freiberg he is know. uh german okay. um he was named head of bank for the Vatican. And obviously, you know, the Vatican was having a lot of issues with their banking and, and right. a lot of uh, scandals and, and things like that. Uh, but I, what I found interesting was that in an article in Bloomberg, it was, uh, you know, profiling Freiburg and it just flat out told us that he's part of the Knights of Malta. Right. So <laughs> I thought that was interesting. Mm -hmm. The Knights of Malta just being another one of those, um, you know, gentlemen clubs, harmless, yeah. harmless, uh, weekday night get together type clubs. Yeah. And we might actually get, um, some commentary from 
a special someone uh, later on in this episode regarding the Knights of Malta. And, um, and we're going to do something that we have never done on Canary Cry Radio. What's, what, what are we going to do? We're going to read emails. Email readings. And we've been saying that for since we started the show. And I'm pretty sure we've said that a lot. Yeah. And so we well, are fulfilling. It's real this time. I'm looking at them right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So, okay. yeah. So anyway, th- this is where the conversation started with Chris Putnam. Chris Putnam on the Pope and Exovati Canus. Well, there, there's a lot of controversy with the Vatican Bank, and I, I won't pretend to have any really uh, good insight on that, other than a lot of the material that was leaked during the Vati Leaks scandal last year uh, seemed to implicate the Vatican Bank in uh, political bribery and money laundering. And I don't have any details about that. That there was an investigative journalist who the Pope's butler was feeding documents to. His name is Newsy. That's his last name, and right. he wrote a he wrote a book, and I think it's called His Holiness. But as far as I know, it's only been released in Italian. So huh. the details are <clears throat> a little sketchy to pick up on. But I think the Vatican Bank is is right slam in the middle of it. And some people say Pope Benedict is. Others say that it was mostly Bertoni, his second in command. You know, as it turns out, you know, Pope Benedict has probably been <clears throat> nothing more than a figurehead for the last year, um, which is, you know, really what redeemed some of the things that we were talking about in the book. You know, if you remember last year, we were talking about him stepping down, and we thought, you know, we, we initially said April 2012, and... yeah. Uh, you know, that was based on what this Belgian Jesuit, Rene Thibault, had predicted based on the Malachi prophecy and a bunch of just really strange codes and things that he found. And um, well, it turns out, you know, when I, I was reading the articles Monday when Benedict made his announcement that uh, he actually decided to step down at the end of March of 2012, right, when he got back from his South American trip. So, I mean, that really... Uh, <laughs> made uh, Rene Thibault dead on because, yeah. uh, I mean, if he had actually done it then, it would have been in April. Um, and apparently they, they just decided to, to step on it for the, for a year and, and keep it under wraps, which kind of means that the second-in-command, Tarsicio Bertoni, was probably really acting in the role of the Pope a lot of the time, if Benedict was really as down as much as they're saying. It turns out he has a pacemaker, and they changed the battery in it, so he was having surgery and stuff. So, I mean, it, it doesn't look like he's he's really been running things. And, uh, of course, they've been embroiled in all the scandals and everything. Right. That's interesting. I mean, I listened to a little bit of you on Coast to Coast AM, and congrats for making your debut on there. And um, I thought you handled some of the calls quite well. There was obviously a, a variety of different views being thrown at you, but I think your I think your apologetics was spot on. I think that came in handy really well. So that was awesome to to hear that on coast to coast. But I kind of want to tie because I think you've done a lot of interviews based on just recently this week on on the the Pope stepping down. But I, I do want to tie this whole thing into how this might relate to what you're talking about in your next book. And Tom Horn has been on the radio recently and, uh, you know, I heard his just kind of the stuff you guys are talking about, even just going to the website 
and seeing the uh, the different topics that you guys cover in this next book. And I'm looking at it going, wow, this is this is very, very groundbreaking. It's uh, it's very eye opening. It stops everyone in their tracks because, you know, in, in light of all this stuff about the Pope is this kind of underside of disclosure or UFOs or ET life or preparing something big to come across the wire, if you will, uh, in the near future with the with the Vatican playing a role in it. So what what's something that you see a connection with with what you you know see unfolding this week with uh, the stuff you talk about in the book the next book coming out? Well, you know how it all connects is <clears throat> well remains to be seen. But you know what we're talking about in the next book is is the Vatican extraterrestrial connection UFOs. You know why does the Vatican have an an observatory on top of Mount Graham in Arizona next to the most powerful telescope in the world with an instrument named Lucifer attached right. to it. I mean, these kind of things are, people are really interested in knowing what this yeah, is all about. No, I, I, when I heard about it, I was like, really? It's called Lucifer? You're, it's gotta yeah. be a joke. <laughs> it's actually real. I mean, I don't think the Vatican named it that. It right. looks like the, the guys at the Max Planck Institute in Germany did that. And some really strange reasons that they picked that as well. Interesting, um, and, and even the banker today, the, or the uh, the new head of bank, is from Germany. So just another tie. Yeah, there. yeah, go on. Yeah, it turns out that the reason why the Lucifer instrument is named Lucifer. I mean, this is I looked into it, and then uh, a, a, a journalist at World Net Daily looked into it. Chelsea she, and I, I talked to her. She called the Max Planck Institute trying to get to the bottom of it. So. It's really interesting. You get a contradictory story out of mm. the Max Planck guys. They say, well, no, we didn't really name it after the devil. That's just a misconception because of the name Lucifer in the Bible. It, it really means, it's really the morning star. It means Venus. Right. And that's Light true. Bear, yeah. yeah, and so he goes into that. So we didn't really mean to name it by the devil. But then he, in the next paragraph, he says, well, actually, there's a, a, there's a German politician who's the president, and his last name in German means devil. Okay. <laughs> And he goes, well, he, you know, he was really supportive of the Max Planck Institute and helped us fund this, get funding for this thing. So we wanted to honor him by naming it Lucifer. So I'm, I'm going, wait a minute. You just said that you didn't name it after the devil. But then in the next sentence, you said that the guy's name means devil. So you wanted to honor him by naming it Lucifer. So, I mean, he just contradicted himself. Yeah. Obviously, he did mean it to be named after the devil. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I think that's kind of the... Uh... Yeah. I mean, They're almost in the, denial about it. Right. Well, these guys, you know, for them, it's just kind of, of something humorous because right. they don't believe in a real devil anyway. So, right. they, you know, they, it's like tongue in cheek for them. But I mean, for people with the supernatural worldview, I mean, I think that, you know, it's not too much of a stretch to think that it's just sort of a, um, a Freudian slip of sorts, you know, right. in a cosmic kind of way that, um, they're they're betraying perhaps the power that, that that's uh behind them whether they know it or not right and they they might think it's a joke but it doesn't mean that it really is one um yeah i find that interesting that's that's definitely true especially just in culture when you look at humor how humor has changed in american culture how you know people getting hurt and you know the misfortune of others is thought to be funny mm -hmm. um but uh yeah let's let's tie it back the lucifer project or sorry the project lucifer the the, the and you actually visited this uh, this location right like in Arizona yeah absolutely um in Mount Graham Arizona it's right out town a little town of Safford Arizona and uh, it's 
about an hour from Tucson. And uh, Tom Horn and I, I flew into Tucson. I met Tom in Tucson and uh, with his son, Joe, who ran the camera. And we, uh, we got a tour of the whole facility up there. Um, it takes about an hour to get up the mountain doing these switchbacks. And I mean, I was like getting a little bit nauseated just getting up there. Wow. But um, you get up there, they call it a sky island because you're in the middle of a desert in Arizona. But you get up on the mountain, the higher up you go, it's like a really lush forest uh, hmm. with all kinds of wildlife. There's an endangered red squirrel up there that has created all kinds of environmentalist uh, protests because it's suppo the, supposedly the only place in the world this particular squirrel lives. And then, you know, by them building this observatory complex, they're endangering the red squirrel. Um, and, you know, I grew up in the South here in uh, North Carolina, and we used to hunt squirrels. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't help making a few cracks while I was out there. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So, um, you know, red squirrels aside, uh, the whole way this thing has come into being is is actually very controversial. I found out. I mean, the the, Indi the Apache Indians in that area hold that mountain to be sacred, and they were protesting having this thing even built. So right. it it went online in 1993, but okay. the, all through the 80s. It really was the University of Arizona that spearheaded the project. The Vatican already had a partnership with the University of Arizona. Uh, George Cogne was a is a Jesuit who was teaching at the University of Arizona, and, and they really spearheaded this project together. So it was the Vatican and the university that kind of formed a conglomerate, and they um they started petitioning Congress. And there are quite a bit of environmental laws and procedures through the, the, the Game and Wildlife Association to, to get something like that approved. Well, <clears throat> they actually kind of did an end run around all that. They, they didn't go through the normal channels. They actually um, they, they went around it and they had Congress actually legislate them onto the mountain because I mean, they, they bypassed all the environmental uh, concerns and procedures through the, through the Forestry Service. And, uh, you know, it's kind of un unfortunate the way it went down because it, it really looks like it was a, a kind of a corrupt uh, process, like somebody right. got paid off or, or something like that, because they actually um, kind of rammed it through Congress and avoided proper procedures. So the, the people that are protesting it have some really strong points about the way it went down. So what was driving this whole thing is that telescopes are powered by mirrors. And, and the more, the bigger the mirror, the more light you can gather, the more powerful it is. Right. And a guy at the University of Arizona pioneered a new way of making mirrors out of Pyrex glass where they could make them bigger with a honeycomb type of glass that was lighter. And uh, that, that's what drove it. And the Vatican got the first mirror out of the, the University of Arizona um, mirror lab. And that's what they call the Vatican Advanced Technology Telescope. And it was the first facility to go go online in Mount Graham. So what makes Mount Graham really a good place to do this is that the climate in Arizona uh, is very dry down in the desert area. So you don't get a lot of humidity and atmospheric lensing effects. Right. It's a really ideal place to look at the sky. There's not a lot of light pollution. There's not a lot. It's you know, it's a, it's an hour from Tucson, so it's out in the middle of the desert on top of a mountain. So it's really high up in the air, and there's no light to pollute the uh, the signal. 
<coughs> excuse me. Um, so it's an ideal location. And, you know, the thing that is just kind of sensational that I uncovered is <clears throat> when this whole thing was going online in 1993, the head of the Vatican Observatory Research Group, and that's the VORG, literally. <laughs> Does that stand? Or you, that's, that's right, the VORG. Yeah. Yeah. Vatican Observatory Research Group, V-O-R-G. <laughs> so you will be assimilated. <laughs> And they assimilated Mount Graham, basically. Wow. Uh, but the, the head of the board, George Cogne, uh, like two days before it went online, he, he was giving interviews, and he literally went out into the press, and there's a British paper, a real conservative newspaper, not a tabloid, ran an article where Cogne was going, yes, the Vatican is teaming up with NASA to find the extraterrestrials and then baptize them into the Catholic Church. <laughs> Now, you know, if you type the words baptize and extraterrestrial in your search engine, you'll get a lot of articles, and right. a lot of them are more recent from, the, from you know, 2007 forward with Guy Cosmonago and, right. and, and some more recent guys. But the first person to say that was Cogne, and it was back when it first went online, and he, he seemed dead serious. And, I mean, he was so, it seemed so serious. I mean, he was saying that, yeah, NASA was going to be looking for the, the sound signals, um, from their facility, and that they were going to be using the VAT uh, telescope to, to find the planets, and yeah, and that they were going to make contact. And I mean, the way the article reads, it doesn't sound like it's a joke at all. And uh, right. in fact, people took it so seriously that you know the people at the Mount Graham Mountain uh, Pre Preservation Organization. I mean, they they were trying to vet this. I mean, they even called NASA. NASA denied it. Really. Yeah, NASA just said, we don't know what he's talking about. We don't have any contact with them. So, I mean... <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. So why would he make that up and, and put it into the press? I don't know. I mean, maybe NASA's not telling the truth. Maybe, maybe he's not telling the truth. But, I mean, the whole thing just seems over the top. I mean, it, it seems like it's a joke or something. But, right. I mean, it well, wasn't presented that way. Right. And at the, it seems like at the same time, when you look at the NASA end of it, they're they're definitely preparing, you know, some kind of uh, revealing of exoplanets. I mean, they've been talking about that for a while, but uh, one of the predictions for 2013 from, you know, science and, and I think NASA was involved in this was that exoplanets will be found planets in other solar oh, they systems. Are, they found 600 of them by now. They right. Right. But, the, yeah. but like the verification of it will come this year somehow, you know, whatever that means. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, they're preparing, I guess the masses, if you will, in that regard as well. But, Another point that I thought was interesting that, you know, was on this list here of things here, the Collins elite, I know Nick Redfern had talked about them as sort of uh, the quote unquote Christian council membership, if you will, of folks that address this issue of extraterrestrials. Is this a real group? I always thought it was sort of a fictional, from what I understood, it was, uh, there might've been some documents behind it, but it was, it was more of a, a theory. I, I didn't know that this was an actual group that existed and you can verify it. I think it's a it's a real group. Um, you know, I, I read Nick's book right when it first came out, and um, it wasn't a complete surprise to me because I was familiar with Ray Boucher. Okay. Now, if you want to get a little inside scoop on all that, I suggest going to the Future Quake archives yeah. and just search on the page for the interview with Ray Boucher. Ray Boucher is a uh, a Lutheran pastor. 
And um, in the early 90s, he was approached by this group and because, you know, they were afraid that they had contacted demons, um, you know, thinking that they were uh, contacting some extraterrestrial entities, but it had actually kind of gotten out of hand and they were talking to him. They were looking for someone uh, who could tell them how to exercise these things or, or how to get out from under if they had opened up. Right. And, and they actually, so they went looking for, you know, a pastor that had some, you know, experience in the paranormal and UFOs because Ray Boucher was actually the, a MUFON uh, leader and he was contributing to a magazine about Fordian phenomenon. So he, he's, a, you know, a Lutheran pastor, but he has an interest in uh, in paranormal activity and things like that. He, he, he kept tabs on all that and he was known for that. So these guys in the government reached out and, and you know, he tells the story of it. I mean, they were doing things. You know, trying to think of you know military applications for basically a cult power, and you know I think it got out from under them. And um, so, you know, the Collins elite though, when you get to Nick's book, this whole thing has progressed quite a few years beyond what what Ray was talking about. And um, you know, it's a mixed bag. I don't, you know, it looks to me like some of the things that that Nick wrote about. <laughs> It almost looks like they're trying to to make Christians look bad because I mean, there's a whole point where these guys are talking about trying to set up a theocracy, right? And, you know, right. Bring back the law and making, yeah, it, yeah, because they want you know to somehow save America from from this threat. So if everyone's praying and if they could force everybody to be a Christian somehow, then it'll prevent the demons from taking over. But I mean, you know, that's the era that the Catholic Church fell into. You cannot coerce people into being Christians, right? That's, it's not the way it works. Yeah. You can't you can't torture them in, into the gospel. That, that, right. it, it's just the antithesis of what it's about. Right. And um, you know, so I know Michael Heiser reviewed that book, and you know he made some pretty astute observations. You know, it's like I think he kind of he, he his critique was was pretty scathing. Um, you know. Some of the demonology that they talk about is, is is pretty suspect. I mean, the whole idea that demons can steal your soul, I mean, I don't mm -hmm. know that that's biblical. Um, you know, I think that they can definitely divert you, but I don't know that they, they really take souls. That'd be, that's really hard to justify. Right. Um, and, you know, some of the things, like, you know, you talk about Aleister Crowley and Jack Parsons and, yeah. you know, are these entities, are fallen angels really, you know, at the bidding and call of these guys? You know, like, I mean, Alistair Crowley was a drug fiend and a pervert. Right. Okay? I mean, and, you know, he maybe he's got a big reputation, but do, if, do a, does a fallen angel really listen to Aleister Crowley? Does it take orders from him? I mean, is it just waiting, you know, on the edge of its seat for Aleister Crowley to do the right ritual so he could do what he wants to do? Hey, I don't think so. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I think it's more likely they just use people like that and then they, they, they discard them. You know, Aleister right. Crowley, he died in obscurity, flat broke, um, you know, with just like pennies in his pocket, strung out on heroin. I mean, he, he died a loser. Right. It, it's kind of being gripped by the the deception, if you will, and, and just sort of, you know, losing your life over it, which, mm -hmm. is, which is unfortunate. But um, we kind of went all over the place, which is great. Yeah, we did. But, uh, <laughs> but I, I want to <laughs> tie it back to, uh, it happens on this show. It's just a thing that we do. But uh, tying it back to the Pope a little bit, what uh, do you think that this next Pope is going to be the one that's going to be the voice, if you will, to 
disclose ETs or UFOs or anything like that? And and then the second part of the question is how does that tie into both, you know, looking at the Malachi prophecies, which you've looked at, as well as uh, the Bible? Well, you know, our thesis in the book Petrus Romanus is that, you know, if this if this really is the final pope, as this this prophecy, this Catholic prophecy says, then, you know, we're looking at the judgment of Rome. I mean, it doesn't paint Rome in a flattering light. And for that reason, you know, you look at Revelation 13 that talks about the biblical false prophet, and it describes him as having horns like a lamb, yet speaks like a dragon. And to me, that really strongly infers, you know, the horns are a symbol of power. The lamb was al- is always, you know, a symbol of Christ in the Bible. Right. You're looking at someone who is seen as a great Christian leader. Now, you know, worldwide, you know, you think about people of the whole world, you know, Buddhists, Muslims, you know, people in Japan, you know, all over the world, if they had to name one guy that was a big Christian leader, they're probably going to name the Pope. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, when you're talking about somebody that's that's a prophet that the whole world would see as having horns like a lamb, I, you know, I think the Pope is probably the, the, the most likely candidate. So it's not, you know, that's just an, an inference from the biblical text. Right. And, uh, you know, then it says he speaks like a dragon. So he's doing the bidding of Satan. The dragon is defined in the book of Revelation as Satan. So, you know, it says that he leads the world to worship the Antichrist. It says that he does miracles. It says he can call down fire from heaven. I mean, you know, and so, you know, I think that it's actually this false prophet character that sets up the abomination of desolation, uh, the image of the beast. Right. So, you know, this begs the question, you know, what is this beast? Well, you know, we're looking at several texts in the book of Daniel, chapter 11, I think it's around verse 38, there talks about the Antichrist will worship a god of fortresses. A foreign god that his people did that his his father did not know or something mm. like that. so this word where it says foreign god or a strange god i mean that that could quite literally in Hebrew translate to an alien god now is that a stretch it's maybe, but I mean you know even if it's a foreign god, it's not talking about a human being it's right. talking about a god, so you know based on that right you know, th- yeah that's interesting. A god of fortresses is some people would see that as a as a warlord, as a god of war. Um, there are it's one of the Baals in, in Canaanite uh, mythology, and you know I did some some exegesis on that. And in the dictionary of demons and deities in the Bible, there's a there's kind of an extrapolation where a lot of the Gnostics wor- worshipped the same uh, deity as the angel of light, okay? So, it became a Gnostic focus. And so, I mean, you know, I don't know if that's specifically Satan or if it's another fallen angel or another claimant to the little G God status. I, you know, there's more than one of those guys, and we don't have a very exacting accounting of those in Scripture. We're, you know, we're just kind of guessing when it comes to who all the all of them they are. You know, the book of Daniel mentions, you know, the prince of the power of Persia, the prince of the power of Greece. Right. Kind of giving you this idea that there are regional authorities. And then you go in the book of Ephesians and it talks about the powers and the principalities. Right. So I, I think that, you know, that there is this idea that there, there was a divine council that happened from the, the Tower of Babel that where God kind of gave the nations over to these, these lesser 
gods, and he took Israel as himself for his own to make an example and to bring the Messiah into the world. You know, well, Jesus conquered these deities, and he brought the kingdom into the earth, but he hasn't realized it yet. Right. I mean, in the church, but it, it's it's just in a spiritual sense, and it, it's it hasn't really been physically manifested until he returns. And I think that's, you know, when you see all the judgments and the things in the book of Revelation, it really is the overthrow of the evil world system that these lesser deities uh, are, are running. And, and you know, I, I make a lot of arguments in this book. Um, I don't know how aware people are. I, I wasn't until I dug into the exegesis. But, you know, this idea that UFOs are demonic. Now, you know, I, I think most Christians that I know, especially in the, the community that we trade in, believe that. Right. But, you know. I, I think it's you, a little more complex, just me personally. No, yes, just, but, yeah. Some UFOs are probably technology, but yeah, right. I mean, there, UFO is a is a very vague term, but I mean, I think that there's a component of it that certainly is, and um, well, the thing that I found out though, you know, a lot of people don't really know what the background uh, biblically is that supports that, and there really is some strong background. Right. Uh, so I start my starting point for that was Ephesians two, where it talks about the prince of the power of the air. Right. Okay, and as a name for Satan, and it, you know, that we were all once under it says that you used to obey in your former life, you know, when, when, when you were a slave to sin. And so it, it's talking about the power of the air. Now, in New Testament uh, metaphysics or, or cosmology, in a sense, the realm of the atmosphere is the realm of demons, and that was the New Testament worldview. I studied several uh, texts from various theologians. Um, there's one called Powers and Principalities by uh, Clifford that is, is excellent. And, uh, you know, it's the, the worldview of the New Testament in the first century was that the, between the earth and, and the moon, the, at, the atmosphere above the earth was the realm of these spirits. And, you know, a lot of people have this cartoonish idea that the devil is ruling in hell, but nobody rules in hell. Hell is where the devil is going to be punished. Right. He's going to, in the deepest part of it, he's not going to be ruling anything at that point. Um, you know, there are, there are, there do seem to be spirits that are, that are under the earth, but um, it's a whole different ballgame. I mean, the, the demons that we, we think about, especially these powers and principalities that Paul talks about in Ephesians, they're... Their realm is the atmosphere. Yeah. So it really shouldn't be that surprising that we have unidentified aerial phenomenon that's pointing people towards unbiblical worldviews. You yeah, know, it, absolutely. It, it seems like a no brainer, you know, that some of these things that we call UFOs or UAPs or, or whatnot are, are demonic deceptions. And, you know, it really makes sense given the New Testament worldview for, for the realm of, of the demonic. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I, I brought this up in the last episode and I'm bringing it up again, but uh, the word cosmocrator, the, the strongs anyway, that defines it as ruler of this world that is of the world as asserting its independence of God used of the angelic or demonic powers controlling the sublunary world. So, yeah, the sublunary, that's what I, yeah, yep, exactly. Between right. the moon and the, yeah. So mm -hmm. I think when more people start realizing that this stuff is actually in the Bible, the interests and just getting well-versed in some of these topics is important because I think the culture is obviously 
being totally drenched in, you know, ETs and aliens and, mm-hmm. and all that stuff. So, you know, one thing that's interesting is like, you're talking about the culture being drenched in it. Yeah. Is that, yeah, I mean, it, it really seems like from the 1940s forward, we've been saturated with UFOs and, and alien material. And there's a mythos in the culture, basically. And it kind of started after World War II, you know, when we dropped the atomic bomb, that the aliens are monitoring us and they're trying to prevent us from nuking ourselves. Right. You know? <laughs> and that, that's a really popular idea. And so there's an idea in people's minds even people that don't necessarily profess to believe this stuff, but they have this notion that that there's an alien savior that's going to save the world. Right. And, and that's what we're talking about in, in this book, Exavaticana. I mean, you know, it's affected people's worldviews whether they know it or not. Now, Jacques Vallée, his his take on the UFO phenomenon, and he's written about it extensively, is that it's a control system made to modify the belief structures of the world. This is what he says. And so Jacques Vallée, he's kind of a, he's sort of a neo-gnostic or, you know, he's a scientist, but he has kind of spiritual beliefs, but they're kind of occultic. And I, I wouldn't call him a Christian, but the thing is, the things that he says and the conclusions that he draws are very compatible with the biblical worldview. So he's talking about these UFOs are extra dimensional entities Okay, uh, outside of our space time that can break into it at will. And their whole point, you know, their whole purpose is to manipulate humanity, uh, to manipulate culture, to, to manipulate, you know, b- the belief structures of people. And so this is what he thinks it is. And he's been studying UFOs since, you know, with J. Al- Allen Hynek back in the 60s. And, um, that, that, those are the conclusions he draws. Now we look at, you know, what does the New Testament says? It, it says that we're not doing battle with flesh and blood, but rather these powers and principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places. And, and those words, the archon and the cosmic crater, you know, those words are, like you say, these, these entities that are in the sky. Right. And it says that they're, you know, the God of this world that blinds the mind of unbelievers, the, the prince of the power of the air. And it's the same thing that Jacques Vallée is saying, but they were saying it back in, in, the, in the New Testament in the first century. Uh, it is a control system for the earth. And so his conclusions are, are spot on, and they agree with the powers and principalities of the New Testament. So I, I actually wrote a whole chapter on this that's going to be in the book, Acts of Vatican, and I, you know, I just... Uh, I call it the powers and principalities control system for the planet Earth. And, uh, you know, if you think about what is the New Testament saying, you know, it's, it's kind of saying that we live in the matrix. Right. I mean, yeah. we're born as slaves to sin and we're blinded by sin. And then we have these entities that are, that are trying to blind our minds. And, the, you know, the only way that we can come out of it is, you know, you accept the gospel and then you're remade and you're born again. And then you, then you have eyes to see reality. Right. It's, it's it's a, it's a lot like the the story of the matrix. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I guess all the gnostic worldviews are sort of a, you know, in details they're a flip of the Christian uh belief system, but at the same time the the I guess the overall theme of salvation is obviously present in both of them. But man, there's a couple different places I want to take this because I want to ask you a little bit about Sidonia and Mars and what your thoughts are on the rover landing on Mars last year, Curiosity, you know, the past work of David Flynn. And just trying to tie it together to, you know, all the stuff that we're talking about. Is there, uh, is there any ties that you found at all in between um, what the Vatican is doing in space and Mars and possibly the Curiosity rover? 
I'm not aware of any direct ties to the Vatican with that. Um, okay. But uh, Tom put some material in the book about the Sidonia area. That's not really a specialty interest area of mine, but he, he found, and there's a, you know, a PhD uh, cosmologist astronomer that really thought that the arrangement of the anomalies in that area uh, showed signs of uh, design. And I think Tom, Tom put the, some pictures of that and, and, and detailed some of that information. Um, you know, one thing that I'm expecting that we might hear is that they're going to say that they found evidence of life on Mars. And they, they were kind of hinting at that earlier this year. Right, yeah. And, um, you know, what's interesting is that an astrophysicist that I follow is uh, Hugh Ross of ReasonsToBelieve.org. And he predicted that they would announce life on Mars like 20 years ago. And the reason why he, he predicted it is because he thinks that it's actually going to be Earth life. Because in our past, you know, there's all these huge craters. You know, some of the places in the ocean are actually craters where... Um, uh, asteroids hit the Earth, right. way, you know, way back. And, you know, when an asteroid hits the Earth, the impact is so devastating. It's like, you know, 10 atomic bombs or something. Right. It, it knocks tons of dirt from the Earth out into outer space when that happens. Hmm. Okay, so you think about all this tons of Earth dirt go flying out into space, and they're out in orbit, and the moon sucks a lot of it up, so there's a lot of dirt from the Earth on the moon because it's the closest thing, and its gravitation pulls it in. Right. But he estimated that there's probably a few tons of Earth dirt that made it to Mars hmm. from, from some of these past collisions. So given that fact, it won't be surprising if they don't find an evidence of some kind of bacteria or something on the surface of Mars. But you know, once they, they vet it, uh, it's going to turn out that it probably came from Earth. <laughs> oh, man. That's interesting. And, and that's, yeah. that, that scenario painted by Hugh Ross is... You know, it's pretty plausible. It's logical, but I mean, how how easy is it going to be to spin life on Mars on, on, from a different angle? Uh, yeah, I don't know with that with that kind of information in the public. Oh, uh, yeah, and the other thing that I'm kind of expecting that we might see is, I mean, there's already one scientist that's saying it, but I don't know how seriously he's taken in the community. But the idea of panspermia that life on Earth was seeded from space right. uh, that that's a that's one that really undermines uh, the biblical account of creation in a fundamental way. Yeah, and, and you know that's the one thing that Darwinists don't don't have is you know, they don't have any way to get the whole thing started. Yeah, you know they have their theory of evolution, but evolution doesn't work unless you have a, a reproducing life form, and <laughs> so it's really hard to get it started. So right. they want to want to shoot it out into space somewhere, but they really haven't solved the problem. They just kind of pushed it away, but um. So even Richard Dawkins went there in the movie Expelled, which was kind of amusing for everyone. Right, um, yeah. Yeah, people have commented on that for sure. I'm expecting that some sort of announcement might be made uh, towards panspermia. And, it, and Michael Heiser has even uh, suggested that that could be the uh, impetus toward a one-world religion um, once they do that. So, Absolutely, yeah. And that, that definitely ties into you know what we started the conversation with, which is you know, the Pope and, and your next book, Exo Vaticana. Well, well, these Jesuit scientists are, are really on board with that whole worldview. And, yeah. and, I, and I really take them to task at that. They, you know, they're, 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 they're definitely 
you know, are firm believers in Darwinian evolution, and, and they elevate science above any uh, scriptural beliefs that they have as far as uh, creation or anything like that. And, and they discount intelligent design completely, and, and they attack it. And so I, I do take them to task at quite a few of those points in this book. Um, and, and there's a whole chapter on astrobiology, and I, I critique astrobiology. Basically, they have a science that you can get a PhD in, and the whole science is the study of extraterrestrial life, right? right. Well, we don't know that there is any. Right. So you can get a PhD with absolutely nothing to study. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a plan for me. I might have to get into that. I might have to look into that prospect. But I mean, it, it's a it's a real discipline in that they study things like planetary science and astronomy and biology, and they study all these real subjects. But I mean, the real focal point of the whole thing doesn't exist as far as we know. Right. You know, they, it's kind of a hope thing. It really is a faith. It's a faith commitment. And yeah. What it's based on is a worldview issue. Yeah, yeah. And this is one of the things that I think is important that everyone understand. Now, in astronomy, they have something called the Copernican principle. And what that is, is, you know, Nicholas Copernicus kind of proved the heliocentric system. He proved that the Earth revolves around the sun, that the sun's the center of the solar system. So the Copernican principle in astronomy basically says that the Earth is not in any special location in the universe. And that's really what it states. Right. So, but what they do is they extrapolate from that. And they say, well, the Earth's nothing special. Um, that means that we're just a mediocre planet and there's nothing special about us either. You know, there's nothing special about life on Earth. And this is what they call the mediocrity principle. And it's, it's a little bit, it, it, it's, it's quite a bit of a stretch from the Copernican principle, which is mainly just about geography. The, the, the print mediocrity principle would say, well, humanity is nothing but an evolved primate that just evolved up from a bacteria, you know, from the primordial soup on the earth. And uh, there's nothing special about us. There's nothing special about the earth. There's nothing special about, you know, human life. Humans aren't exceptional. And the fact that we're not exceptional, you know, they make an inference that there's all these other planets. And now that they're estimating that there are millions of other planets in the Milky Way. That's an extrapolation from what they found with the Kepler satellite. They're saying, okay, we found over 600 already. Right. So, you know, just from this little area. So if we take that area and, you know, yeah, multiply it by oh, the, yeah. You're right. They come up with millions of exoplanets. Now, you know, of those, there's a certain number of those in what they call the habitable zone or the Goldilocks zone. Right. And what that means is it, it's a certain distance from its star where it will hold liquid water. Right. It's not too close where the water would evaporate. It's not too far away where it would freeze. So basically this worldview, you know, based on naturalism, based on, on Darwinian thinking, is that, you know, if you have a planet with water, it's at the right distance for the right temperature that life will just pop up. I mean, it's basically just add water and, you know, it's like sea monkeys in the comic books, right. basically. <laughs> um, I have a question about transhumanism as well, and I always bring it up. But in retrospect to all this stuff, I know that uh, when you were on PID earlier this week, I think you had quoted a few places where they're, they're kind of saying the same thing. You know, the mm -hmm. transhumanists are saying one thing that sounds kind of like what the Vatican has come out and said, and it's again, it's like this false salvation message. Can you touch on that? And can you bring to light some of the technological sides to this? Because I feel like as I do my research for this next film and I'm putting it all together, 
I'm finding that technology seems to be almost like a net, uh, mm-hmm. if you will, and, and, you know, using an analogy to grab a hold of us, to catch all of us in this, you know, whatever it is, a global system, whatever it looks like, which has something to do, I think, with the mark of the beast and also the image of the beast. I feel like there could be something uh, technological that is, you know, highly advanced or, or whatever it looks like in that whole thing. So, I mean, I just want your thoughts on that. I'm, I'm actually reading a book right now called Technopoly. And uh, it talks about how technologies have changed culture right. and how we never really anticipate exactly how they are going to do so. But, you know, what's interesting, what you're, what you're referring to is in the research for this book, um, you know, I was looking at what is driving some of these Jesuit presuppositions and, and you know, where this is coming from and where it's heading. And uh, the guy that... Uh, was really the ardent evolutionist uh, Darwinist in the Jesuit order was Pierre Teilhard Chardin in the early 20th century. And he really came up with this mystical evolutionary theory where humanity is evolving to the omega point. Okay, right. This is the maximum level of consciousness. And it's remarkably similar to what the transhumanists call the singularity. Right. Uh, what the Buddhists call nirvana, what the Hindus call uh, Brahman. Um, and it's all this, this, this kind of monistic idea where all is one. Everyone comes together in this cosmic consciousness. And like Chardon would phrase it as Christ consciousness or Christogenesis. And, you know, he, he had this idea of the newosphere, that's what they call it. It's N O O S P. H-E-R-E, new sphere. And so this is like the net. It's like a neural net of human consciousness over the world. Well, you know, the transhumanists and the people into technology will say the internet is the infrastructure of the new sphere. So these ideas all intersect in interesting ways. So, you know, is it just metaphysical in the sense that it's immaterial or is it undergirded by technologies. I think that it, there's room for both of those ideas. I think ideas. it's both. Yeah, I agree yeah. With, that it's both. And I think things like, you know, what we're starting to discover with quantum science and just the different uh, things that they've been able to demonstrate. Yeah, basically, you can take two quantumly entangled atoms and they could be separated by, you know, whatever distance. Right. And when you do something to the electron in one, it does it to the other one instantaneously. Right. I mean, faster than the speed of light. I mean, it's it's like they're the same thing. Right. Now, if we can really get that where we can manipulate it, then we can communicate through it. That's right. that's the idea. It's not it's not really teleportation. It's kind of like it's it. It's kind of like it, but yeah. It's, yeah. But it's more like you touch one and the other one reacts, you know, instantaneously. Right. It's really really strange. And but the thing that quantum mechanics does seem to suggest is that that consciousness plays a role in reality. I mean, what just observing something seems to, to change its state, I mean, in a permanent way. Once, once you do that, it, it seems to fundamentally affect what reality is just by looking at it, right. which is a really um, an odd notion. Um, you know, and Chuck Missler is pretty good about talking about this in a way that, you know, the, the Bible has always said that there's a, that the, the reality that we see is only a shadow yeah. of the underlying reality. glass darkly. Mm-hmm. And I think that, I think that there's something to that. You know, I think the danger, you know, that the the mystics and the uh, the occultists that you know, is that they're they're a little arrogant to think that they can play in that realm and get away with it because they don't know what they're doing. Right. I mean, you know, 
some of them think they do, but you know, I, I, I'm skeptical of that. You know, I'm I, I'm not comfortable um, treading in those areas by myself. I, I think that the only way I feel confident is having Christ <laughs> yeah. with because you know I don't know what's out there and I don't I think that the entities that have access to those realms do not wish us well and I think that a lot of people are getting played so yeah you're on the right track and that's where you know I think the one world religious system is going to go to this monism this all is yeah. one idea and that's that's kind of my trajectory and that, that's kind of what I uncover with Chardon, uh, Pope Benedict is down with that. He he really is a, a believer in Chardon's system. A lot of the Jesuits who are arguing for evolutionary theory and Darwinism are a lot more influenced by Chardon than most people realize. And you know, the thing is, they really change the meaning of certain terminology. Sometimes when they say Christ, they don't mean Jesus of Nazareth. They're talking about this consciousness right. um, thing at the Omega point, and it's it's kind of uh, deceptive, to say the least. But, you know, just uh, to close out here, I'll I'll just kind of reveal a a few interesting things about the book. I talked about some of this on the radio last night, but, you know, the cover of our book has a UFO over over St. Peter's, right? And it it looks pretty um, sensationalistic. Well, the truth of the matter is, is that picture is actually a lot more accurate than anyone realizes that that hasn't heard me talk about it yet. And I put up an article up on my Facebook. It's a clipping from a newspaper. In 1978, it was the famous year of three popes. Right. So this is when Paul VI died, and then John Paul I was only pope for 33 days. Then he died mysteriously, and then John Paul II took over. This was 1978. Well, right in the middle of that 33-day papacy, of John Paul I, there was a massive UFO flap over Rome. And I'm not talking about some little vague light in the sky that only a few people saw. I'm talking about hundreds of people saw craft flying over the Vatican, shooting down green beams of light. Okay, a donut-shaped craft with a hole in the middle of it, um, a triangular-shaped craft. People went missing. Wow. Um, the military saw it. The police saw it. I mean, and all official channels have records of it. I put a clipping from the New York Times, from the 1978 New York Times News Service, saying Rome covered by UFOs. Okay, and so this really happened, um, and it was widely reported. It was in all the papers. Um, some fishermen went missing over in Rome. You can read the article. I've got it up yeah. on my Facebook right now. Yeah, I'll definitely link to it. And. Um, it's uh, it really happened, and it, so the cover of our book is is not just something that we made up with an artist. Um, this actually happened in 1978, and it was right in the middle of one of the most unprecedented things that the papacy ever experienced. Now, how are those related? I, I don't know. I'm not saying that that green beam of light did something to the Pope, but I mean, it, it sure seems like it. That the timing is awful um, coincidental, if it if not. And, you know, there's a lot more incidents like that. I mean, I think the Fatima sighting has a lot more to do with UFOs than it does with Mary. Absolutely. And and I uncovered that it happened again in 1950, um, right before Pope Pius declared the the doctrine of the Assumption of Mary. That happened in 1950. Right. The fact that now we're going to make it where all Catholics have to believe that Mary ascended like Jesus did in the book of Acts. Well, before he did that, he saw a gray ball bouncing around in the sky, just like the miracle of the sun at Fatima, over Rome. 
So they literally have UFOs dictating doctrines to them, it seems to me. Yeah. And when that's his justification for, for promulgating the doctrine of the assumption is that he saw a UFO bouncing around in the sky. And he, he wrote that in a letter. So there are some really interesting connections between these aerial phenomenon and Roman Catholicism. And we're going to unpack those and talk about astrobiology and aliens and all of these things in this book that's coming up. So it's been my pleasure to be with you, man. Thanks for having me. All right. So that was the conversation I had with Chris Putnam. And, very, uh, very cool. I'm kind of sad that I wasn't there for it this I time. I am very. I was very sad because I know you were actually looking forward to talking to him. Yeah. Um, when it went down, so it's okay. We're not going to tell anybody whose fault it was that I wasn't there. Um, didn't get the, uh, didn't get the right. Uh, anyways, doesn't matter. That was all very interesting stuff, though. <laughs> I'd never heard any of that. Yeah, I'm guilty. The the ufos over the vatican green beams huh. coming i mean wow i'm i'm really looking forward to exo vaticanus and actually tom horn has been posting some teasers and some snippets on his website at, right. uh, raiders news so if you guys want to check that out definitely do so and apparently tom horn is going to reveal uh something he's kept secret i guess wow. uh, which is um i could be wrong but i think there was some tie-in with travis walton the famous case of uh, being abducted. So yeah, he's going to go, he's going to reveal some things that have happened in his lifetime that pushed him in this direction. Um, Which is, which is interesting because, you know, I I, I don't think, I think a lot of us who are interested in these topics are interested because we saw Stargate when we were 12 or something, you know, like something on TV, Star Wars or whatever. And, and that kind of perked our interest in like UFOs and ETs and, and, paranormal supernatural topics right Uh, but when you have and and there are plenty of people out there that have had strange experiences and that's what caused them to really look into this topic so i'm looking forward to to finding out what uh tom horn has experienced yeah well that'll be very interesting make sure to tune in for that everyone yeah is he gonna come on and share it with all of us that's the plan i mean that's the hope Okay. Um, we, we've reached out to Tom two or three times yeah. and, uh, we'll get him. We, we <laughs> will get him. We will hunt him down. He's a busy guy with your, you know? with your new drone over there. Maybe, maybe we have his wrong, the wrong phone number or something. Well, you no, know, it, it could be our fault. Don't try to ignore what I just brought up. Don't talk about the drone gons. All right. All right. Okay. It has a camera on it. It's that's, cool. that's, I guess the, the, the truth over there. Um, yeah. Basil has a drone. So watch out guys. Watch out guys. <laughs> <Be> careful. <laughs> watch out. <laughs> um, okay. So I guess it's time to get on to, uh, what? End the show. Yeah, let's end the show now. I mean, Just we kidding. obviously we got some emails to read. I think are spent. We we don't have much more to talk about. I haven't done any talking. Let's talk some email. Oh, that's right. You uh, you weren't part of that. I wasn't conversation. there. <laughs> <laughs> Basil feels left out. He needs to. Uh, I feel so left out, guys. Yeah. All right. So why don't you read this first email then? Here we go. I'll read this first email we have here from our. Uh, our good friends. We'll call them Bob and Betty. Bob and Betty are uh, friends from. I don't know where they're from, actually. That doesn't matter. Yeah, they're I guess from. It doesn't matter. 
They're from Awesome Town. Awesome Town. <laughs> awesome Town. Bob and Betty from Awesome Town. Guns Basil. I just listened to your Mars episode, number 21. Oh, geez. I also previously listened to your John Teeter episode. Oh, gosh. The About two. time travel. Those OGs and oh goshes, those were me. That wasn't, that's not in the email. I say that because those are, those are, those are some. The, those some, two episodes are the most speculative <laughs> episodes. But also the can. most awesome. Go listen to them, number 21 and 31. All right, on to the email. Tonight, I read this. Read it with your traveling to Mars filter on. Isaiah 41.21, New King's James Version. Present your case, says the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons, says the King of Jacob. 22, let them bring forth and show us what will happen. Let them show the former things what they were, that they may consider them and know the latter end of them, or declare to us things to come. 23, show the things that are to come hereafter, that we may know that you are God's. Yes, do good or do evil, that we may be dismayed and see it together. 24. Indeed, you are nothing, and your work is nothing. He who chooses you is an abomination. This reads to me that God is preempting the time travel announcement. They will show us the things to come, the things that have already happened, but those who believe the lie and choose them are an abomination. I see this whole time travel thing as another deception in the same vein as alien abductions. People have real experiences, but are they just a demonic deception? If someone called out in the name of Jesus in the middle of a Mars visit, would they suddenly wake up in their own home as people have claimed with alien abductions? Thank you for covering these topics. Even if they are on the fringe, at least I can ponder it now and work it out with my God so as not to be taken by surprise later. You guys are great. Well, thank you for the Bob email. Bob and Betty, you are great. And, and that's, that's actually, that's that's an interesting um, section of verses that they gave us there. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting that we are at a point in time where reading scripture with you know, some of these different lenses or filters on can really bring some things to light and highlight some things that, you know, people have read for hundreds of years. And, and Right, right. I'm going to read that block of verses one more time. Let's everybody listen with our time travel glasses on and our, and our teleportation to Mars. All right, here we go. Present your case, says the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons, says the King of Jacob. Let them bring forth and show us what will happen. Let them show the former things, what they were, and that we may consider them and know the latter end of them or declare to us things to come. Show the things that are to come hereafter that we may know that you are gods, little g, gods. Yes, do good or do evil that we may be dismayed and see it together. Indeed, you are nothing and your work is nothing. He who chooses you is an abomination. Yeah, definitely. Even the wow. second time around, it's like, whoa. I know. See, there you go. Yeah. So that's an interesting, um, interesting blanket actually to lay over that uh, that whole time travel teleportation thing, especially because it's one that I'm so interested in. And you know, I guess uh, after reading this verse, it even gives myself sort of a new way to look at the whole uh, thing. Maybe being as part of the some sort of grape deception. It's entirely possible. I, I mean, you know, the fringe is fringe, but it wouldn't be it wouldn't really have any significance if 
unless there were verses like this in the Bible where right. it kind of jumps out when we put these, you know, time travel lenses on and it's like, whoa, you know, uh, show us what will happen, the former things and consider them and the latter things or declare us things to come. And, you know, we know that God is outside of space and time and he can effectively show us everything right. that was, is, and is to come. Right. So it's not a surprise that God would be able to tell us through scripture and have these things apply to, you know, someone in the third century in one way right. and, and then, you know, and help them in some, in a certain way. And then, you know, 2000 years later, us sitting here and reading it and having a completely different understanding of it, but it's still the word of God and it's still powerful, you know? So, right. Here's something that's, uh, you know, just to read through this, that we may know that you are God's little G. And that's been a big conversation with the whole time travel thing, you know, sort of on the con part of it being, you know, the control. It's it's sort of a type of rebellion stepping outside of, you know, the intended flow of time right. um, that has some believers sort of, you know, uh, against the whole thing. And then it goes on to say, yes, do good or do evil that we may be dismayed and see it together. So, uh, you know, it's, it's showing do good or do evil, you know, it's, it's uh, the intention may not be, you know, to do evil or to do good. It could go either way, which is sort of the whole dichotomy of the time travel thing, meaning it could be used in so many, you know, different ways, ultimately probably not a good idea. Right. And, and I think verse 24 alludes to that. It's like, ultimately yeah. your work is nothing. So yeah. yeah. And, and man, I had a thought and then I lost it. Oh, you overpowered me with your mind. I did. My mind is too powerful. Yeah, yeah. I need to time travel back a few seconds to figure out what's going on in the. Don't do it, man. Yeah. You are nothing, and your work is nothing. <laughs> <laughs> you chooses you as an abomination. Oh, I, I remember now. I okay. There was a point in time when I had, and this is before I was a believer. I had contemplated the possibility that extraterrestrials or what we thought of as ETs were actually us from the future mm -hmm. that we, we traveled back in time to observe and, and, uh, help humanity, which is kind of a, you know, it's almost like that would be so redundant, you know, right. Be kind of a pointless thing. It's like, well, you already know what's going to happen. So why go back and change it? If that change was gonna, I don't know. It's confusing. All time sorts is, of time paradox. travels hard, Gons. It's okay. Oh, speaking of which, I meant to actually share this with you off the air, but I guess since we're here already, I'll just, uh, you know, Spill tell the whole world. your beans. Yeah, I had a dream the other night. Dreams are um, fun. Yeah, I had a dream the other night that I traveled back in time. I don't know how. It just happened. Suddenly, I was back in time, and I met, like, little four-year-old me. Interesting. And, yeah, and we were, I met myself um four years old skiing and that's just you know that's how i roll i ski at four years old and then i come back in time to watch myself do it and i met myself and you know we did all sorts of cool stuff and is it was honestly one of the, the the happiest dreams i've ever had but one of the great things about it was i came to little four-year-old me and i said basil little tiny basil we're having a lot of fun but we need to we need to videotape this so when I go back that everybody will know that it'll happen. And little four year old me turned to me and said, "Yeah, 
you're right. Let, okay, let's video. Like, like little four-year-old me knew how important it was to me to videotape this and bring it back. And we, you know, we, we found some birthmarks and we, we, you know, we did the whole thing that you would do. And then I just woke up before anything else happened. That's interesting. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it was a lot more exciting than how I'm explaining it. But point was that I, I woke up after this dream and it, I was so happy and I was so stoked on the dream that I, I just wasn't even, I, I was, you know, when you, you're having a good dream and you wake up and you're like, oh man, it's just a dream. Nuts. Yeah. I was like, man, that was a really good dream. I'm not even pissed that it's over. Huh. I was just like, oh, I'm very satisfied with how that ended. That's interesting. It reminds yeah. me of a guy that from another country, and I think you and I have sat and watched this video of this okay. guy that claimed that he met his future self, I think yes, it was. He was, like he was. he was working on his sink. Right, right, right. He was underneath the sink, went through a time portal and met himself. Right. And and he had allegedly had some video or something, right? Right. He did. Yeah. 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 And so it was kind of like that. And like in the video, like it was kind of in that same sort of vein. Like in the video, him and himself, older, they're like, it's a really happy feeling. Yeah. You know, and they're like hanging out like meeting themselves they're all stoked and that's kind of how it was for me and, and little me except for i was tiny it was a tiny me well you know, i was the older one it's interesting because i i feel like you know little you and you now i mean <laughs> if essentially when you look at it from the bigger scope of space time right the right, continuum right. you are you like there's just one you you know well, and, and, and it's and it's yeah that's 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 kind of what I got from the dream. That was sort of the whole feeling because I was looking at tiny me and little tiny four year old really wouldn't even understand that like you know I was me you right, know like right. I was him he was me, but I'm like look little guy we need to videotape our us doing stuff because I'm you and you're me only I'm big I came back through time and I'm like trying to talk to him about it. he's like yeah no I get it yeah I know. Okay, let's do this. Hurry up. You need to get your camera out. What are you waiting for? You know, only he was talking like a four-year-old. But so, yeah, I mean, that was kind of, that. I think that was kind of like the whole existential like happiness that came from it, I think, was like, you know, it was just, it was still me. Yeah. It was a little baby me. It was kind of like, you know, wanting to be a child again or something. I don't know. I'm sure there's some psychoanalyst out there um, going to yeah. send us an email. Tell me some more about that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, decode Basil's dream and tell us the inner secrets of Basil's do mind. Do it. <laughs> Based on the little information you're able to get. Yeah. Dreams okay. are fun. I, I like dreams. They're fun. Speaking of dreams, we have more emails. Let's move on. Yeah. Your All turn. right. My turn. Okay. I get to read an email. This one's from Leo. What's up, Leo? What's up, Leo? Leo emailed us and he said, I guess I'll start by saying I love your show. Well, thanks, thanks Leo. Thank That's you, awesome. Yeah. I really have been becoming a fringe Christian and fringe Christian podcast listener. Well, that's good because there's not, you know, there's not a whole lot of us. So welcome to the club. We can be crazy together. Uh, like crazy, I listen to you guys. Old Future Quake and Chris White and Revelation Radio and A View from the Bunker. And now I'm starting to listen to The Iron Show. Jeez, Ooh. 
I tried listening to the Iron Show a while back, but I was still a basic newer Christian, and hearing Johnny freaked me out. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Johnny freaked me out at first, too, but we're buddies now. I love Johnny. We miss him. We got to have him back on. Um, okay, so hearing Johnny freaked me out, but after hearing your interview with him, I realized I'm very much like him. I'm kind of what I call a recomer to Christ. I've always believed in him in the Bible, but I felt I was not good enough to be a Christian for a long time because I was still in sin and I work in a factory where swearing is common and I just feel somewhat lost sometimes. Mm. Well, we've all been there. Definitely yeah. been there. Definitely. I really don't know any Christians like all the people I listed above and I don't even have a church here I can truly believe is doing what I believe as Christian. I'm from Cambridge, Minnesota, by the way. Must be cold. Yeah. Icy, frozen. Uh, anyway, getting to the point here, the show with Johnny really made me laugh and cry because between all three of you guys, I felt like I had people who are like me. That means a lot to me. Oh, that means a lot to me too, Yeah, Leo. Yeah, That's sort of what this is all about, I think. I think so, yeah. I mean, you yeah. know, it was, it was trying to make sure that we weren't crazy and apparently there are other people that are <laughs> either just as crazy or something so you know we we all we're all in the same club yeah yeah so uh, he goes on here after i came back from being away from christianity a bit uh, i felt that i had to do something i came back to it when i found future quake and shortly after that you guys now i really feel like house churches are the way of the future for some reason i'm trying to find people like my real brothers and sisters you guys and johnny and all i listed above I really want to wake people up, but so many think I'm crazy about all of this. Yeah. Is it, yeah. Yeah. And then he goes on here. Is there a way to get a copy of age of deceit on DVD or whatever? Some people don't use the internet for watching these things and go to friends houses where they would have the internet. Plus I'm trying to compile physical copies of these things because I don't think the internet will be here in the coming years, at least the way we know it. And I, I think that that's pretty accurate. That's a good, uh, um, and, and you can get the DVD at Amazon. You can go to amazon.com and just type in age of deceit. It's there. Uh, but you can watch it for free on YouTube, by the way. Um, anyone who's the physical copies for those of you archiving the important stuff of the world before the internet goes out, go to the internet, amazon.com age of deceit DVD. They're Sweet. waiting for you. And age of deceit too heavily in the work right now. Heavily, heavily. I'm sure we'll be called crazy and taken offline as Christians. Yeah, probably. Well, I hope you guys read this. You're reading it. We're reading it. Uh, it means a lot to me since I see you as my true awake brothers in Christ. It means a lot to me since I see you as my true awake brothers in Christ. Also, please thank Johnny if you see him for me. Johnny, if you're listening, Leo says hello. Leo says hello. And, uh, and he says thank you. And so, Leo, thanks for your email. I'm really glad that you feel at home with us and that you feel like you can uh, connect with what we're saying and that you you feel the the spirit of god in what we do and we're very thankful for your listenership and for your email yeah and you know our show would be nothing if it wasn't for those who came before us like future quake and a lot of it i i, I relate to leo a lot in the sense that you know i, I just felt kind of like, like like an outcast until I found some of these shows that really helped me understand that like, Hey, you can have these questions and it's okay. You know, you can be a Christian and, and tackle some of these issues. And there, there are good answers. They're great answers. And, um, you know, unfortunately it's not really as mainstream, but 
you know, maybe that's for a reason. So Leo, thanks for the email and uh, keep listening because we'll keep doing stuff. We'll keep doing this thing as long as the internet is open as it is now, even though that's oh, true. I feel like it's starting to maybe, lock down already. Maybe we should make physical copies of all the Canary Cry radio shows. That would probably be a good idea. Since physical is, copies get your box set soon everybody records people records get your, vinyls get your get, get your wax scroll a track no tapes. the wax thing is way before that you know you know the wax thing right no i i, I don't you don't but i'm just saying we're, we're gonna have multiple formats oh, okay just, okay you know maybe some people like tape better tape the right the CD. if you have like a, a an early 90s buick that only has a tape player yeah um you can stick that right in there yeah yeah okay all right on to the next email um we'll get better get- at this you know we, this is the first time we're doing email so it's like basil yeah. and i are looking at each other like what, what are we what are we doing doing it okay here we go don't tell them that we don't know what we're doing <laughs> they already know that <laughs> they already okay. know that and they still listen they do okay this is another email speaking of which mm-hmm. from dylan Dylan. Or Dylan. Dylan. But I think it's Dylan. Bob Dylan? Hello. I've always had an interest in the subject of prophecy as a whole. I remember being 17 and going through the scriptures to find messianic promises to show a Jewish friend. Man, that's a... That's intense. Bravo. I remember being struck with Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53 personally as this boosted and confirmed my own faith in my Christian upbringing. Boom. Nice one, Dylan in the word. I have largely been disappointed with my church experiences. I went to a neo-reformed church, oh geez, that nominally believed in charismatic gifts, but really didn't practice them. It's a shame. I believe this was so because the leadership relied heavily on control, dictating things according to their own understanding. This church and group of churches was known for spiritual abuse. That's an unfortunate practice. All this to say, delusion is the world of the devil, and the devil's power is evidenced in confusion. I have seen delusion in myself and others. I was exposed to the world of conspiracy and paradigm shift through watching the movie Zeitgeist four years ago. I also yeah, uh, I remember that experience. Zeitgeist was the one man back in the day. Yep. Um, the movie had on overtly anti-Christian message. Yes, it's true. Yep. Section Which one, I, really. The second, right. the first, yeah. That's what they're all about. Um, The movie had an overtly anti-Christian message, which I knew was wrong, but it did reopen and perk my interest into New World Order themes. I say reopen because a gentleman came to lecture in an economics class in high school about the Federal Reserve System. Wow. Wow. That's actually very interesting. Yeah. What school is that? Yeah. No. Bravo to to that. I mean, I guess I got to say my... English teacher made us read 1984 and Brave New World back to back. So yeah, I think she same. was onto something too. Right. I think they all are. I mean, the teachers really got on lockdown for the most part. Yeah. Um, maybe not spiritually, but definitely when it comes to the government and yeah, the economy. Yeah. Okay. Um, because a gentleman came to lecture in an economics class in high school about the Federal Reserve System, I was floored by the information. He loosely based his lecture from the book The Creature from Jekyll Island. Which was written by Edward Griffin, and I got to shake his hand a couple summers Whoa. ago, I think. And, Whoa. Uh, yeah. He's Big a dog cool over here. Dude, cool dude. But have you read The Creature from Jekyll Island? I haven't, but I will now. It's a massive book. 
I, oh. I, I think I got through like three quarters of it and it, I, I mean, I got the point. <laughs> Huh, it's, interesting. It's massive. It's it's a great. It's is it a, great a novel? Book. What is it? It's um. It's basically Edward Griffin goes into how the Federal Reserve was started uh, uh, on Jekyll Island, but uh, yes. secretly these uh, some of these bankers that are supposed to be against each other got right. together, and you know the reason why people know about it is because they came out about thirty years later and said, "Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm we, familiar with that." Yeah, yeah. So crazy okay the creature from jekyll island check it out everybody yeah, to on. sum it up it was refreshing to hear from you guys in your podcast i figured i would give you some encouragement and say you are not alone and the lord is revealing these things to us to live wholehearted and consecrated lives for him in this increasing wicked age there are blessings to be amongst god's fringe the gates of hell will not prevail in its plot against his church no matter the depth of conspiracy of this age god bless Dylan. Well, thank you, Dylan. That encouragement is uh, received. I received that. And Gans, do you receive that? I received the encouragement as well. I feel encouraged. And thank you so much for listening. And I'm really actually, I'm enlightened and sort of, I got a little morale boost to hear that somebody actually came into your high school program and talked about that because nobody did in my case. Yeah, yeah. We tend to bash the education system. And I think overall, as, as a larger a mountain view of education, the education system, especially right. the public school system, is definitely yeah. corrupt. And, and there's a reason why, especially in the United States, the, the level of education has and really gone down. And sort of just ineffective in general. And I think even teachers would tell you that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's plenty of teachers that know that, but they have to follow the curriculum to keep their right. jobs. So exactly. it's, it's kind of an unfortunate thing. But, yeah, there, I guess there are some some moments of truth that get spoken in, in high schools all over the world, probably. So, Amen. So if you're in high school or you work at a high school listening to this right now, go ahead and just start talking about it. The, the Federal Reserve is a good place to start. I mean, that's something that affects all of us. And that's a big thing about this whole field of study is, you know, you can start with something like the Federal Reserve and it will inevitably lead into Mars. Uh, Mars, <laughs> teleporting to Mars. No, it'll it'll inevitably lead to the Luciferian, you know, new world order takeover of the Earth. Right. So, which which inevitably will lead to the gospel, which is kind of the point. Exactly. There and, you go. And I've had someone tell me it's divisive to try to you know paint everything so dark and then and then try to bring Jesus as like this glorious savior. Right. But that's kind of how it is you know it's like yeah the world is dark like come on people right. i mean we, we started this show talking about all the craziness happening around us all the chaos and in spite of that we the fringe christian community one thing i love about this community of people that you know we're, we're getting to know and expanding on is the fact that we're really upbeat yeah you know most if you listen to some other you know new world order shows or you know people that are exposing uh, the New World Order, the Illuminati, all these things, and they don't have the same worldview as we do, it is fear-mongering at that point. It, it, it truly is because they're just saying, hey, there's this terrible evil organization and they're out to get you. And the only hope we have is an uprising, some kind of rebellion. Right. You know, And really, it's not that practical because if you do that, then you're really just you know, perpetuating the same problem. Right. So... Um, yeah, I, I like the fact that we, you know, we can kind of joke about it almost, you know, and we yeah. sort of have to because it is a heavy subject and it's not easy to, to talk about, you know, 
Right. Scary well, the battle's aliens. already won, so it's just sort of like we're watching the... We're watching it play out in real time, but that's the privilege, I guess, we have. We get, we, that's something I was actually thinking about, especially when I'm, you know, I've been working on Age of Deceit 2 and just looking at history and stuff. And it's, we live in some really extraordinary times. I mean, if you really think about the history of, when you look at it from a technological standpoint, and I know some other researchers have pointed this out, but we really have come a long way and we really live in a time that is completely foreign to, I would say, you know, 98% or 99% even of mm -hmm. human history, you know? Right. Well, I mean, 2013 is almost completely different from, I mean, if you talk about technology, just call it 50 years. Oh yeah, absolutely. There's all these videos, you know, on YouTube of little babies playing with their iPads. Mm -hmm. You know, and there was a, a news thing and I actually found the, the original YouTube video as well, but there's this girl, she's a few months old and they show her working the iPad, you know, she, she can get into it and open up her app and play her app and stuff. And it's cool. Then, then they showed her with a magazine and she was trying to like swipe the pictures on the magazine. <laughs> and like, Jeez. But, but here's the thing. It's like, Hey, this kid's not even one years old yet, you know, and they're already plugged into these, right. these machines and it's like man it's just a different world yeah. <laughs> like our next generation is going to be completely different from us and they're going to look at us like look at these old you know these these old farts on their laptops and right well that's that's the thing okay everybody i know there are some people out there who are going to scoff at this but i'm a young dude okay i'm a young dude and cell phones didn't even exist when i was i don't even know 10 like and and you know, all you guys out there and girls, like, oh yeah. I mean, you know, all, if you were born before that, obviously. But I mean, I'm this is I'm only in my twenties, and cell phones compared to ten years ago or what, fifteen years ago. Wait, okay, hold on, let me start this over because I guess cell phones did sort of exist. Yeah, they existed fifteen years ago in the eighties. Yeah, but it wasn't the same. It was right. They were way different. They were like they were like bricks, <laughs> and they weren't a, a normal no thing. It was it was for the the elect, the the special yes. people. And there were cool cars. car phones. I remember my dad had a car phone, and that was see. I see. I had friends who had dads or parents who had car phones, and it was like, oh, it's cool, but it's kind of ugly because it <laughs> looks like a brick. It looks like a giant brick. But anyway. But it was cool, man. I guess it was cool. Okay. Anyways, I take back all that stuff about the cell phones. But let's talk about CDs. Yeah. CDs didn't even exist when I was born. That's yeah. weird. I now CDs are just a pain in my butt. Yeah. Uh, I have stacks of CDs that I have to go through still and digitize all of them so I can put it on flash drives or something. And, you know, they're all scratched up and, and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I, I just hit 30, which is... You know, it's kind of depressing, but old guy, but that's how I feel when I look around. It's like, <laughs> what, you know, cause, and you really, it's really true because, you know, maybe 10 years ago you right. had, you had the 50, 60 year old saying like, oh, when I was a kid and it was a completely different world. Right. right. Well now at, you know, in our twenties and thirties, we're looking at, you know, where stuff's headed and it's like, oh, when I was a kid, you know, it's like, right. we shouldn't I, be talking like that. Like, I know it's true. I remember being a kid. This has no importance whatsoever but i just want to share it i remember being a kid you know i don't even know six years old 
and I would sit on the computer for hours and just on MS Paint. Like that was the cool thing that I would do. Yeah, I remember MS Paint. Yeah, and I don't even think. I just remember thinking. Does does MS Paint exist anymore? Is that on Windows 8? I don't know. Uh, Windows is still around? (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm sure some of you guys are on Windows. You're such a funny guy. I know. I'm trying. Okay. We got another email here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, before we move on to that email, Dylan, you're awesome. Thank you for the message. And keep listening. And um, And you're welcome. Yeah. All right. So do you want to read this one too? Um, Sure. Or do you want me to read? I will read this one. Okay. This one's from? This one is, is from a good friend of mine. His name's Anonymous. Not not the Anonymous, right? Not the Anonymous. Well, I don't know. Who knows? Ah, who knows? That's why it's Anonymous. Um, okay. So here we go. Hello, Basil and Gons. Hi, Anonymous. First of all, I wanted to say how much I like your show. Thank you very much. When it comes to the end of a show, I always feel kind of sad. And that's when you know a show is good. Although I haven't listened to all your shows like Tim Kilkenny... I have listened to most of them and I've enjoyed them. Oh, that's Good. a burn on Tim. Ha ha, Tim, nerd. <laughs> 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 well, thank you so much for that compliment. That that, that helps me sleep at night. You, you need. We needed to make sure that Anonymous listens to the Tim Kilkenny episode because it was a really good conversation about Christian conspiracy theorists. Okay. So anyway, if you're listening to this, listen to that episode. I wanted to make a comment about the Mars show. Oh boy. I really like the show, but I don't understand why the secular conspiracy world makes such a big deal about topics like Mars colonies or teleportation when there is the truth of the Bible. For example, if they really thought about the resurrection of Jesus Christ or Hebrews 13, 1, 2. Why do you think they do that, Gons? Why do you, why do I think they make such a big deal? Why about- do you think they just write off the Bible and then make such a big deal about things like Mars colonies and teleportation? I think science is a big part of it. I think the big science religion war is a is a big reason why they pay more attention to crazy things like Mars colonies and teleportation than Jesus Christ or Hebrews 13. Um, just real quick to interject. Sure. I think that you're right that it is the science, the quote unquote science versus religion thing. But what I'm starting to see really is that science is effectively is a religion and it's going to really change, I think in the near future. And I think that's uh, that's part of the, the next film, but I totally believe that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think they're um, going to adopt a spiritual component to it. That oh, is exactly. And I think that that's why they're able to say, Oh, crazy things like Mars colonies and teleportation are true or will be true, but you know, there's geez. too much. I think there's too much historical baggage. I guess might be the right word when it comes to Christianity. That word has that's a, that's a really good way to put it. Because a lot of people, and I know this because I was one of those people. Like the you know when you start looking at apologetics and stuff you find how faulty the argument is but a lot of people use the genetic fallacy which is basically that the truth claim of of something has nothing to do with for example you know the crusades 
Like, okay, the crusades happen. It, right. Yep, it happened. It's true. But does that mean that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was not true? No, it has right. nothing to do with that. Right. So, so this point of argument of like, oh, look at how the church has treated people and they've been, you know, responsible for millions of deaths and they've murdered and they've done all these horrible things and all this stuff and they go on and on and on. So they don't want to associate with Jesus Christ in the way the church has presented him throughout history. But really that argument doesn't really stand on the actual truth claim of right. the resurrection and you know who Jesus is and things like that. So I, I think, yeah, so I think, I think, I think there the, is a lot of historical and cultural baggage that just immediately repels people from yeah, the and, but they miracles have, of the resurrection. Right. But I think it's really important for us to continue to talk about these topics because the people that really are, in the conspiracy or the secular conspiracy world, as, as uh, Anonymous put it here, they crave a spiritual truth. Right. They crave it. And that's why they go after Mars and teleport to, and all these different things because they want that supernatural component to be true. And I think that's something that's in, innate in all of us, but, but they don't want the Jesus part to be true, you know, because that would mean they would associate with, you know, Whatever. Christianity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Continuing on. Let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Authorized version. They would see that the Bible is far more amazing than what even the most out there secular conspiracy theories are saying. I agree with you. Mm-hmm. Also, I wanted to make a suggestion for a show. There's a book called Psychology as a Religion, The Cult of Self-Worship. I've actually heard of this book, and I have just got hold of a copy of it. It's written by a Christian author, and I think he is really on to something which hardly anybody is talking about. I think his theories are just the beginning of a whole area of study. The book basically talks about how selfism has changed every aspect of modern culture, from psychology to the family. The book also talks about how the growth of the new age is connected to selfism. I think it's a very relevant book considering the ideas of many of the main non-Christian conspiracy theories are pushing on to the public. It's a fascinating book and it is a warning for the church because selfism is contrary to the doctrine of Christianity, i.e. dying to self to serve the Nazarene. Personally, I can see this idea of selfism all around us. I just have to look at iPods, MySpace, YouTube, etc. to see the selfist idea at work. Anyway, it is just a suggestion. You probably have loads of other cool stuff, cool shows lined up. Jesus Christ is Lord. God bless you, brothers. Anonymous. Thank you, Anonymous. Um, Yes, that's a very good idea. I think that's a huge, huge thing especially in um, the realm in which we operate. Because basically, when you talk about selfism, I think it could also be the basis of, you know, what the devil wants for the whole world, which is for us to focus on ourselves. And that's sort of been the tool ever since the, the garden there. Yeah, it all ties back to the garden every time. It's almost redundant for me at this point, but I know it's, you know, it's got, it has to be said over and over again. And it's like that, that scene in the garden, when the serpent tells Eve, basically that like, Hey, you know, you will be like gods, your eyes will be opened and you'll know good and evil and all this stuff, man, everything that we've done since the fall has been to that blueprint of right. like, Oh, we're going to be gods. Sweet. Let's 
let's pursue that. <laughs> you know, and it's, right. it's just amazing that now several thousands of years later, we're reaching another epoch of this, you know, grasping through science and technology and all these things, the ability to literally become quote unquote gods, or at least in the eyes of um, some of these folks like Ray Kurzweil and stuff like that, you know, evolving, right. they, they kind of, you know, use different terminology and stuff, but effectively they're, they're saying, Hey, we're going to be gods. Yeah. And <laughs> it, it blows my mind that more people don't see that. Um, especially when it comes to the Christian community. And I'm not saying this to bash the Christian community, but the self-ism is, it's there. It's there in mainstream Christianity because a lot of it has to do with, you know, your best life now and, you know, right, having right. having great relationships now. And those are important things. I'm not, I'm not minimizing that, right. but it, it really is about yourself. Right. And I, I've even heard it put, and not to say that, you know, this person necessarily has everything wrong, but just the way that it's been put is, you know, you need to follow the instructions of God because it's what's best for you. You know, God, right. you know, you know what I mean? Like the Bible is an instruction for life and your life will be better because, you know, if you follow such and such list of rules or, you right. know, right. so even it's even sort of, infiltrated the church in sort of the subtle way you know i'm not necessarily making a case against them or trying to start a fight here right right but um it's definitely there yeah yeah it's it's one of those things that's it's it's touchy because <laughs> at least um and i know for us we're sort of surrounded by this culture uh of i guess selfism type thing going on in the church right it, i don't know it's it's hard to really it's even sort of a hard, it's a hard thing for a lot of Christians too when it comes to tithing because tithing, you know, there's, there's sort of an implied thing where, you know, give and it'll be given back to you and, right. you know, be faithful with your tithes because, because God will be faithful to, you know, right, yeah. bless you back. And so, there's this, uh, this struggle, in my opinion, with tithing. Don't get me wrong. I think tithing is the right thing to do. Keep paying your tithes, everybody. But, you know, even even that can, can turn into like, oh, well, I'm, you know, I better pay my tithe yeah. because I really need to be blessed this month. Yeah. And, and it's so subtle because things like going out and, and, mission trips and things like that. And I'm not minimizing it at all. Right. I, I think that there's actually, you know, there's a, you have to, you know, everyone should experience missions and, and doing different things for the community and doing things for, you know, the less fortunate and things like that. But I always found it interesting that, you know, the thing that you often hear in the Christian circles concerning this kind of thing is that, you know, Hey, I went to go help other people, but you know, um, or teach other people, but what ended up happening was I ended up learning and I ended up, right. uh, you know. And, right, or it's even pitched that way, sort of like, yeah. if you come with the church down to, you know, Venezuela, you know, I, I'm telling you right now, you're going to be changed. You're, yeah, your your eyes are going to be opened. Yeah. And you're, which is true, which is, yes, it will. And yes, that's good. But at the same time, if you really think about it, it's kind of a weird way to approach it if you want to, you know, talk about it in this sort I, I of think, selfism sort of way. Well, I, I think it's the genuine part of it is true that it, it will change you. It will change your life to do some stuff like that, to go on missions right. and do things. Exactly. The problem I see with it is how it's like you said, how it's pitched. It's like, don't, 
pitch like I don't know. I don't know. I'm well, it's not even it's not up, even but. about the person pitching either. You know. Oh, well, I know it's not, but I'm it's, saying it's like, sort of maybe they have to pitch it like that to get somebody to go, not because they're using, you know, not because they are are promoting selfism. It's because maybe we as congregations are already practicing deeply the selfism and right. we you know wouldn't go on this missions trip unless somebody gave us a selfism reason to go right yeah you that's know true. so good, you know it's point. not necessarily the fault of clergy or your pastor or whoever's making that pitch you know it's it's a deeply rooted problem in all of us that's been there since the garden yeah yeah no i agree with you there i, I think what i what i'm more alluding to is the fact that and this is this is true with so many things that I bring up with along these lines, but um, anytime there is uh, an institution, um, no matter how genuine, uh, gets funded or has you know massive amounts of money that comes through, they are more susceptible to corruption and they're more susceptible to lose the the core thing that is essential to to what it means to be a believer but at the same time you know i've come to the place where you know i i used to be really kind of uh fired up about stuff like this but i've come to a point where i'm really like you know god is so much bigger than than all this stuff you know like we're, we're right. all trying to figure out like you know we all have our opinions of how church should be run right but ultimately none of us are going to get it right until jesus comes back so it's like it's kind of a mute point to start pointing fingers and like like oh it's so awful and and you know sometimes yeah. it is necessary to speak out on these things but at the same time it's like come on god's got it all figured out you know yeah so Amen. all right well there we go thank you anonymous for that and we will definitely look into that subject maybe we will look into the author of that book and yeah. see if he will come talk to us a little bit more now gons at the beginning of the program you said something about the knights of malta yeah and I you did. said something, if I remember correctly, something alluding to a special email from somebody. Do you know anything about that? Um, yeah, I reached out as soon as I found out about this Freyberg guy being a Knights of Malta. Freyberg being the uh, the financial officer for the Vatican. Yes, the new guy that stepped in. Um, Got it. As the Vatican bank dude. So I, I reached out to somebody that most of you are probably familiar with um some of you might not be but i'm gonna go ahead and read the email and i think some of you guys and i'll tell you who it is after i finish the email but i think some of you guys will immediately catch on to who this person is so i'm gonna read the email uh basically i reached out to this person uh, asking you know what, what their thoughts were on this and um this is, here's what they said uh he said i want to thank you for forwarding this potentially important information for me to peruse. A few years ago, I would have dismissed the Knights of Malta as merely a small group of aristocrats pining for the old days with their costume dress and being largely irrelevant and certainly not in league with powerful groups like the Bilderbergers. However, the rise of what I see as the renewal of an ancient holy war with the Muslim world and the rise of Christian warriors to defend Christendom means that I cannot no longer dismiss the significance of them or the information you provided. And again, that's, the information is the, uh, the Knights of Malta and, and the dude. In the original crusades, the financing and banking operations to finance them was a critical linchpin, and the corruption inherent in money changing evidently affected the Knights Templar and led to their downfall, who, like the Knights of Malta, were originated for a mission 
Christ never called to the church to fight when he told his followers to put away their swords. The Vatican Bank has been the source for much skullduggery over the last century, at least with it being a tool of the Masonic P2 Lodge involving top figures like Silvio Berlusconi to finance Operation Gladio to conduct false flag terror operations to blame on the communists, as well as assassinations. With the communists largely out of the way, they are turning their old nemesis, the Muslims, always needing an imminent existential threat to justify their role, special position as chivalrous Christian knights, and immoral convert actions to fight fire with fire, invariably to protect the old guard controlling the worldwide money supply, wealth, and global institutions against global ideological interlopers. In reality, they are not much different in their perspectives than the Ku Klux Klan in America and use the same methods, yet on a grander scale. This hard right wing of the Catholic Church, allied with the right wing of the Evangelical Church and the right wing of the Zionists, will justify their self-perceived role as saviors against the Muslim world, and in their bloody struggle will be manipulated into bringing down the influence of all three monotheistic faiths. The global Darwinistic Luciferian political ideology free technocrats that run the recognized global institutions like the UN will allow these networks of true believers, quote unquote, to do their bidding and then use the chaos to discredit all these monotheistic faiths and then put them in the crosshairs. Although many of these chivalrous defenders and traditional values, not necessarily gospel ones, will be duped, I'm sure some Luciferian operatives are embedded in their myths, further guiding and stoking the fires, and many may in fact throw their allegiance to the Antichrist for his public devotion to traditional values while he worships unknown gods behind closed doors like many of our leaders, and strong hand to put down those who resist the established order. Of course, if the real church, and I mean the grassroots real followers of Christ and not the leadership, would choose to make their decisions and lifestyles in line with Christ's teachings of the Sermon on the Mount and the rest of the Gospels while serving as an example and also enlightening the truly God-fearing amongst their Jewish and Muslim friends for their protection, this problem would be greatly neutralized worldwide and likely much of the most high-profile American Christian leaders today would fade away. Let's pray that God is able to do much a miracle through each of us. And this, if you haven't guessed already, was the words of the one and only Dr. Future. Dr. Future, that's the song that I made. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, yeah, so there you go. You gave him, you, you sent him the Knights uh, of Malta information about the new head of the bank of the Vatican, and he um, was obviously uh, moved by that information. Yeah, and he's publishing, uh, I guess two books on this subject later this year and you know he's one of those guys that we've been waiting on to come on our show and uh you know we've reached out to him several times and and um he's one of the pioneers of this sort of genre of uh radio 
and, and talk shows and stuff. So we owe a lot to Dr. Future and, and Tom Bionic and the Future Quake show for sort of paving the way. But he brought up some interesting points. He's obviously well versed in, <laughs> in some of this and doing, you know, all the research that he's been doing since Future Quake went off the air. And even, even when it was on, was on the air, uh, right. they, they, uh, you know, I know Future Quake tackled Operation Gladio quite a bit. Uh, Tom Bionic, I believe, had a full episode or maybe two uh, talking about Operation Gladio and just all the false flag stuff going on. Right. And, um, you know, when I first heard about this holy war idea of uh, Krizlam, I think was sort of the, the the title that was given, this Christian-Muslim war, huh. I was I was sort of taken aback. It was almost like, well, this is, this is really important information that is very prominent with so many Muslims in this world and so many Christians who are blindly almost following this in- infiltrated institution. Uh, right. or, or, you know, I don't know exactly. No, I mean, he put it in better words than I did, but it's alarming. And it kind of reflects on where we are as a church. And, and I alluded earlier about how, you know, once money gets involved, it, you know, it, it has a greater tendency or possibility of going corrupt. And I think Dr. Future here is sort of exposing all that and saying, yeah, yeah, you know, some of these great quote-unquote leaders of the church, the face of Christianity sometimes, you know, that we call them, um, right. they might have some ties with uh, some of the very people that um, are getting their information from Satan. So it's kind of unfortunate. And it's diff- again, these topics are so hard to talk about. Uh, yeah, because it's 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 kind of have to walk on eggshells, you know. Right. Well, because I I know uh, you know that there are definitely some li- listeners who, if if we named a couple of these leaders, who were allegedly involved in some of the um, skullduggery that uh, Doctor Future mentioned, you know, it, it would be kind of a shock, and it would be a little bit of a, you know, I don't know, it it, it would cause a, a serious divide for sure. Yeah, I think we, what is, what's important is like, you know, because there's, there's a guy, you know, someone like Billy Graham, you know, I haven't done enough investigation on, on Billy Graham to really know, but I know there are some people out there who say that, you know, he had ties with the New World Order and all this stuff. Right. And, you know, part of me is like, well, you know, he probably did. I mean, the, the, the level that he got to in the, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the credibility and the, the I guess the... Uh, the, the respect that he got from political leaders and, and just, you know, the country in general and, and the world really, uh, right. you know, there's a price that comes with that. You know, you can't just get there. You know, you right. have to go through the right channels and the right, you have to do the right things. And if you, you know, sometimes if you want to do something, you might have to change your path to stay on quote unquote, the course. Um, right. you know. Well, and it's difficult to say as well, because, when you look at different characters in the Bible as well, yeah, yep. and you see how, you know, Moses became, you know, the prince of Egypt yeah. and he's, you know, in the ruling class of the powers who are completely enslaving <laughs> the people of God at the time. And so, it's, it's, you hear about people like Billy Graham and you you research some of the connections that may or may not be included in his career with the you know some unsavory um, groups but you just 
it, it's really hard to sort through, especially when so many people have been touched and their lives have been That's, changed yeah. and the seeming, you know, the what all that he's accomplished for the kingdom and things like that. So, you know, it's really hard yeah, um, who knows a man's on heart? Like that. Right? We can't right. we can't really judge a man's heart. That's kind of that's why God is around. You know, like right. I'm glad I don't exactly. have to judge people's hearts. You know, right? Um, but yeah, you're right, and I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier about you know God is able to work all these things. And you're right, like when you look at the Bible, man, there are some some messed up people in there that God used to bring about His stuff. So really, you know, yeah, know. so you know when you think of it that way, it's like yeah, you know, maybe He's you know. He he might be, even if he was, even if some person that was the face of Christianity was like the most evil person ever, he's still part of uh, the plan of God to... Uh, <laughs> right. to right, exactly. He's not doing anything that uh, the big guy's not allowing to happen right, or right. ordaining to happen or whatever. So, yeah. Interesting stuff. Very interesting stuff. Um, well, I think we're coming to the end of our time here, Gons. Yeah. I'm stoked that we got to read some of these emails. Did you yeah. have one more thing to say about? Oh, well, I was just going to invite people to continue emailing and continue. Yeah. It. And continue. We do our best and- to get back to you. And if we haven't gotten back to you, we're very sorry. Just try again and we will yeah. <laughs> we do read all of them. Yeah. But it, it gets increasingly um, more difficult to sit down and, and respond. Um, but we do read them and we do thank you for all your kind words. And we love to hear your questions and love to talk about them. So we're going to try to do more of this on air email stuff. Yeah. And it's great. You guys are intelligent and bright. And and I just, I love our listeners. They're just so. You're so special. They're so cool. Also special to me. We just, you know, I wish we can just all kind of. Hang, hang out. out, yeah. Hang out yeah. and have some coffee and should we should all hang out sometime. If you guys let us know when you guys are free. Um I have uh Wednesdays and, and Fridays <laughs> off, so um you know, I got some Starbucks you gift cards can, uh, for Christmas I still gotta spend. Yeah, we can you know, you guys can put together your time travel portal that you're I trying just, to open up over there and I just want friends, man. <laughs> Basil is so friend deprived that oh, he's okay. trying to time travel himself. Sure, I was friends with myself. <laughs> past. Okay, people. That's, we that got to the bottom happy. of the dream. This is what's you're lonely, dude. Oh gosh. You're, <laughs> Lord, help me. All right, everybody pray for my loneliness. Oh, All right. Kidding. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for listening to us. And again, keep sending your emails. Um I certainly enjoyed the conversation you had there, Gons, with Chris Putnam. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, thank you, Chris, for coming on. And I know it was a it was a privilege to have to speak to him because, uh, you know, he was he was bombarded. I'm guy. sure. Yeah, I mean, a guy. Yeah. All right, and we'll be uh, continuing to follow the new Pope stuff um, as it happens in the next few months or so here, oh. and uh, we'll see if Petrus Romanus shows his face. Yeah, I, I forgot to mention this, and I probably should have said this at the beginning, but um, Douglas Hamp, L.A. Marzulli, and myself are going to do what we called the we titled the Prophecy Forum, Woo! and uh, it's it's a local thing. It's um, 
Doug and I have been trying to get to do sort of a, a little mini conference for a while now, and we've been turned down by a couple different churches uh, more than once. But a church finally opened up their their building for us to come in and talk about it. And and it's not an easy thing for a church to open up to Ellen Marzuli and Doug Hamp. And, <laughs> you know, they're not the most... Um, yeah, I mean, they obviously you guys know who they are and you know what they talk about, and it's not something that you hear in the pews on Sunday. So, uh, you know, I'm really excited about it, but I'm actually kind of nervous about it. I realize that you know my face has to be out there, and you know I, I can't hide behind a microphone anymore. I got a beautiful you know. face. Oh, gosh. It's okay; it'll make people like you more. Yeah, apparently, I read that's, some. That's yeah. science. If they see you. They like you more. Yeah, that's that's what I've heard too. It's the problem with radio. We yeah. always have these podcast companies advertising to us to start doing video podcasts because they say that you guys will like us more if we do that. Yeah. Did you know in uh, Google Hangout there are these new things? I think I told you about them. There, there's these little things where you can like disguise yourself and like they follow your face and like I was messing around with Google Hangouts uh, uh. just because uh, Doug and I. Doug, Douglas Hamp and I are considering doing something that's a little more, you know, like once a week or once a month or something for the, the prophecy forum, but right. uh, we're not sure yet, but I mean, we were going to do it on through Google hangout. And so I was checking it out and I mean, you can put, you know, a halo over your head that follows you and you know, a mustache and sunglasses That's, that's or, so or an cute. eye patch, you know, they have eye patches too. That nobody will recognize you then. No, especially for you, Basil. You can you can hide behind a beard and a mustache and and uh, yeah, the pirate hat they got available in there as well. The possibilities are endless. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys. So yeah, make sure. Well, we'll you'll you'll bring more information. Yeah, on yeah. That, well, if you, you yeah visit um, theprophecyforum.com, there's some info there and and uh, you know I've I've kind of been thrown into the mix of trying to throw it all together, which I, you know, I guess I was, uh, open to doing, um, but I didn't realize how much work it would actually be. Uh, not to mention that I will be speaking and I'm speaking last. So <laughs> I get yeah. to follow like practically two days of LA and Doug. So I don't know how that happened, but, uh, <laughs> I'm playing yeah. cleanup and, um, that's going to be in March, March 15th and 16th in Bellflower, California. So if you are listening and you are around Southern California, which I, you know, I'm actually kind of curious how many people actually listen to us that are, you know, local. But, well, uh, I mean, all those billboards we put up—you never know. <laughs> oh yeah, got the the whole 405 tuning in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. well there you go. The Prophecy Forum, what dot com? Yep, the Prophecy okay, Forum dot com. Check it out, and if you're in Southern California or Northern California or Arizona or just in the United States or somewhere, and you want to come check it out, make yeah, sure to do if that. You're really courageous. You'd come out all the way from New York just to watch. You know, some people talking. don't have anything better to do. So yeah, I mean, myself included. <laughs> <laughs> are you going to so, be there, Basil? Are you going to try to make it and? I can't tell you that. Okay. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. Oh, great! So you guys, nobody will know. We, you know, we we did actually just for the record, we did talk about, you know, maybe doing a video type thing between yeah. uh, for us for Canary Cry Radio. It's true. We're talking about it. Tell us what you guys think about that. We are thinking about doing kind of a video, maybe like kind of a show type thing. Um, we are, we're also thinking about maybe trying to put together some sort of like live show, um, thing. That'd be fun. That'd I don't know. Fun. Who knows? Yeah. 
take it to the next level. Yeah, and we we actually I think initially we were gonna actually do a sort of a Canary Cry Radio live at this event, but it kind of didn't work out that way. So you know, next time, next time they're just not ready for us. No, they're not. The world is not ready for us to uh, do video yet. We need to stay plus audio. they didn't have a crane in the building for my big flying entrance. So in your uh, leotards and right. Yes. And my, my big cardboard UFO. Um, so next time <laughs> we just got to find a builder building, bigger building yep. and we'll do that. All right. So once again, prophecyforum.com. Thanks for listening to what we talk about here. <laughs> <laughs> Send in your emails, emails, canary cry radio at gmail.com website, canary cry radio.com. There you go. Tune in next time. And until then, think outside the cage. Is that your dubstep? Yes. You know what's really funny? No. I was watching the Disney Channel, because I always do. And yeah. they're... <laughs> Uh, they were there was like some there's a dancing type show in there I can't remember what it's called. Uh, shake it up or something let's shake it up shake it up yeah and they had this dance and they're dancing and it totally had this like dubstep breakdown <laughs> it was yeah. hilarious and you know my, my stepdaughter was like Disney Channel and dubstep doesn't go together <laughs> dubstep is mainstream now I know by the way we should end all of our shows with like think outside the cage and then we'll like just do our regular just noises that we make yeah kind of like the noises i make every night every time <laughs> yeah. but we should just leave it in for like a couple seconds thank you for listening to this episode of canary cry radio the show notes for this episode and many others are available at canarycryradio.com make sure to connect and like our facebook page at facebook.com slash canarycryradio Follow us on Twitter at Canary Cry Radio. If you would like to share the show in video format, you can find us on YouTube by searching Canary Cry Radio. Review us on iTunes with five stars and give us a thumbs up on StumbleUpon.com. We would like to thank those of you who have given us your support, prayers, and donations. If you would like to join us and support Canary Cry Radio financially, you could do so by visiting CanaryCryRadio.com and clicking the support tab. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, remember to think outside the cage.